the free for all roundtable brought to you by lexus avon canada's newest lexus dealer in the maple auto mall near rutherford at highway 400 luxury is closer than you think round one on round one, the aforementioned Toronto City Councillor Shelley Carroll is here. Amanda Galbraith, principal at Navigator and host of Free For All Fridays. Pavan Broch is here today, serial entrepreneur in marketing, tech, and real estate. And I always add that he is also a part-time farmer because I think that's <laughs> kind of cool. Well, yeah. speaking of farming, food prices are predicted to rise. Um, Pavan, I'll start with you since uh, you produce some food. But I don't know if there's necessarily much to debate about this aside from that sinking feeling that something that is already out of reach for some families is going to be even more expensive. It's incredibly expensive. And yeah, we're, we'll be expanding uh, what, we're, what we're growing. Um, listen, you know, I mean, I think our, our national symbol should change from the beaver uh, to a sheep who loves to get fleeced, uh, just to keep it on agricultural uh, kind of topic here. You know, from cell phones to fuel to food. I mean, food. I mean, our, our meat industry alone, as I've said, which is a huge driver of our costs, is controlled by three or four American conglomerates, and they dictate the prices to uh, the grocery stores. And so, you know, we have to take a look at what's going on here. And one of the biggest drivers remains uh, diesel. The cost of diesel has not come down the way gasoline has from from when COVID started. And obviously, we're bringing our food up from Mexico and America, and we can talk about whether that makes a lot of sense in the long term. But, you know, this is a major cost driver. So why the government hasn't addressed the cost of diesel is really beyond me because it drives up all of these costs. And so I, I do think we have to get very serious with what, what we're what's going on here, how we're running our food system. We do have a safe system. But we do know that the prices are just too high. Well, and I know there's a bunch of truckers who are shouting, finally, finally, somebody's talking about the price of diesel. So I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> Amanda <laughs> Galbraith, three categories of food that are yeah. expected to rise the most are meat, dairy, and vegetables, uh, which are kind of, you know, things that nobody wants to edit out of their diet. You no, know, there are some, I mean, people don't have a choice, right? And this is sort of the hard part is that at the end of the day, I mean, maybe you can edit some meat out of your diet in theory, um, but uh, that these are non-negotiables for Canadians, for people every day, um, you know, the cost of life, even though inflation is slowly coming down, the cost of our daily lives are still going up, which means, to Babin's point, the cost to farmers, people that produce, to transport the stuff is still going to go up. Um, so, you know, as much as we can say, oh, certain things are leveling off, um, it's still going to be another tough year, another more use of food banks. Um, and I think, you know, Canadians are rightfully frustrated. And I think some people are scared. It sucks. Yeah, I can't even, uh, never mind uh, remove red meat from your diet. I have a mac and cheese recipe that my grandkids love. I make it in large quantities, and my, my husband calls it $30 mac and cheese. It's now $50 <laughs> mac and cheese. And, yeah. it, you know, we're, we're beyond, beyond. For food banks, they try and drive people to the vegetables. They you, you get points, and then you select your foods at food banks. And they're having to buy some of those vegetables. It's not all donated stuff, and it's just killing them. Meanwhile, uh, some protections are coming, and we're going to talk to the housing minister about this at 8.20 this morning, but changes are coming for Ontario's landlords and renters. For one thing, they're going to hire a whole bunch more arbiters in order to get through outstanding cases. Uh, but also, and Shelley, I'll start with you on this one, um, there's a lot of protection for tenants. So anybody, once again, to try and make out this conservative government to be a bunch of Grinches, uh, the narrative won't hold up. 
Well, what they're what they're helping tenants with is is rent evictions, which is sort of a subset of the the tenant situation. Uh, getting rid of the backlog is is a great thing, but we got to remember that for a lot of things like above guideline increases in in oh so many conventional apartment buildings in Toronto, the the odds in those cases are still stacked against you. So it'll be great to get through the backlog, but but by and large, uh, people are still suffering. The one thing people were hoping to see was rent controls on buildings built after 1996. We we were going to have that, and then the current government removed that as a as a measure. Why that arbitrary year? Why that timeline? Well, well, that's that's the sad part. The bulk of apartment buildings in in Toronto were either built in that building boom of the 60s and 70s, or the condo boom, which began 1996 and beyond. And so, renting in a in a condo, there are no controls whatsoever. And even purpose built rental that's built today, we love it. We want it, and there are lots of applications for it. But part of the reason that you know uh, REIT investment trusts and things like that like to invest in the new apartment buildings is there are no rent controls on them and no no end to the profit you can make on them. We need the supply, but I believe that those REITs could still make their long-term investment that they're looking for and have a little bit of rent control on the more modern buildings. That would really start to level the playing field, and that's the one and only thing missing from this legislation. Okay, Pavan, what? you see in these changes? Well, the devil's in the details, as they say. And uh, I did hear the minister in the clip you played earlier this morning talk about not only rent evictions, but conversions and demolition. So I'm thrilled that you you have the minister coming on later this morning, and, and I'll be listening carefully. You know, I think I think we have to be careful when we say that they can make all the profit that they want in the world. Uh. Uh, certainly, um, you know, we have to understand that interest rates are up 100% since early 2020, uh, 20, I think, or 22, rather. Uh, taxes in many of the jurisdictions are up 6 and 7%. Insurance is up, I think, around 7% on average. And then that ignores how much you have to pay an elevator tech to come out and get your thing going again. So... You know, there's a lot of expense going on, and 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 they're capped at 2.5%, which is which is a record high level in terms of how much they can increase the rent. So, I think we have to recognize that we are in a housing crisis. We, you know, are are we're undersupplied, and it's the undersupply is going to quadruple by 2026. And I'll be interested to see what the government's up to because they have to be careful not to spook the market. Because if people, a lot of people who, for example, a lot of big builders who started to, who sold condominiums and, and sold projects just two years ago, are now going to be building those projects with zero profit because of the inflation. So we, we it's a sensitive time. We've got a million plus people coming into the country. And, and so whatever adjustments they're making that have to be fair for both sides have to be done carefully. Okay. And Amanda, I think Pavan hits on a really important point, which is that uh, real estate or housing is is an investment for some, but it's a necessity for all. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a balance there. Um, I think what the government, provincial government's doing today is it's very smart politics for them, as you point out. You know, you try and pigeonhole them in one area or another, and here they are defending tenants, as opposed to, you know, some of the tags they've gotten around developers. Um, I kind of share Pavin's concerns. Like I, I own a condo. Um, our fees and costs to just manage the building are have gone up intensely to the point where, you know, there are no bells and whistles around here anymore. I mean, I'm grateful to own it. Uh, but the idea that we should make it more complex 
or more difficult or more, you know, more or like less profitable, frankly, at this point for people to build when we need people to build, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense. I think we should, you know, encourage building. I think we should protect tenants where it makes sense. But for example, my neighbor had a tenant here who was um, incredibly problematic and stole things from the building. It took her two years to get him out with the landlord tenant board. So there are protections for tenants out there. I think the renovation, renovations thing makes sense, but we need to be careful that we're balancing the need to build and the need for to, to incent people to rent because I have, I would I would have rented my place to move to a bigger spot, but I don't want to deal with a tenant. I think it's too complicated, and I think getting someone out of there when there's problems is almost impossible in this province. So Quebec, where it's already illegal for anybody who works for the state to have any outward demonstration of a religion, now they're moving to ban prayer rooms in public schools, and if you do want to pray, you're going to have to do so silently. Uh, Pavan Brach, it, it seems like a certain... I, I, I don't even why, know why this is necessary to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah, well, it's part of their their kind of policy on religion that kind of, I guess, comes dates back to the days when, when the Catholic Church was so very powerful and, and so very controlling of, of Quebec society. And I think they've just taken it upon themselves to eliminate all religion. And, uh, you know, I, I understand I understand that, uh, that we have to run things uh, efficiently and the schools are here for schooling and not necessarily for prayer. I do kind of support the concept of having a, a quiet space where somebody can go for, you know, and do whatever they want to do uh, spiritually or just to deal with, you know, the huge issues around mental health where people have to focus on their wellness and, and awareness and things like that. So if there is a way to accommodate those folks, but, you know, I, I, I don't know, it, it, not at the expense of changing schools entirely so that you build entire facilities, you know, dedicated to prayer, et cetera. I don't think that makes sense. But in this world of stress, fear and economic challenges, I think it may be a mistake not to allow, you know, our young people find us a quiet space to, to reflect. Amanda, like so many other religious laws in Quebec, it really kind of boils down to being anti-Islam because most other faith groups wouldn't have any cause to pray at school. Exactly. That's, you know, this is, let's just call this what it is. It is racist. It's it's anti-Muslim. Um, you know, who plays silently? Almost everyone else. Catholics, uh, Christians, um, you know, Muslim, like there's... A whole act there's time that has to occur um you know it's t like a little noisier than a silent prayer when you do it in your head or whatever so i think again this is another example of frankly quebec's you know stuff or they, they label it as freedom but i see it as racist i think it's shameful um and there's no harm in giving people a room if it exists i don't think we need to build you know great palaces to this but you can say here's a here's a spare room in the office here's a corner of this the gym for you to use at certain times like this is not rocket science um, if they were not, you know, behaving the way they do there. Yeah, Shelly Carroll, I just don't see the harm in having a design designated space and somebody being allowed to pray out loud if they want to. Exactly, and and it it cuts it cuts these kids off from so many things because depending on the timing, it can even cut them off from extracurriculars. You want to stay for soccer practice, but but at a at a certain point in time, you have to pray. You're you're, you're now cut off from from activities outside the classroom. It it really is just straight anti-Islam, but but it, it's being framed in such a way that we'll all think that it's the opposite of this. It's the the issue of of taking prayer out of the classroom, uh, but it actually was. They wanted a quiet place away it's specific to to this religion and they're trying to make it seem like a more general thing it's really not it feels very targeted amanda galbraith are you ready for your robot overlords uh, some restaurants are <laughs> starting to hire robots or buy robots to uh, to be your server 
I mean, I don't know. I, like, I get a lot on charm with the baby and stuff, so I feel like the robots aren't going to respond as well to me as the current <laughs> starweights have to. Um, so I'm concerned about that. Uh, you know, I mean, the robot overloads are already at the checkouts, um, so I'm sort of, you know, you kind of get used to that thing. But I, you know, I guess, I guess there's something to be said for efficiency. But these are jobs. I also think, candidly, like service, there's an art to service, right? There's yeah. an art to to, um, to table service and and experience around the food, just beyond just taste. And I think part of this will be lost there. So yeah, maybe at like a fast food restaurant. But I think you'll never lose the need for that in in the the vast majority of restaurants in our country if you want to have that experience. I've been to a robot sushi place, and we still needed the humans. Uh, You know, the robot came over with the food, but they were like, do we take the stuff on the top or the stuff in the middle? Which is ours? So there were still lots of humans walking around needing to be employed. (laughs) But you can see where, over time, do we as the diners figure it out, and then one by one we see the humans disappearing from the restaurant? I don't know. But uh, there there were services. Everywhere, just trying to make sense of the robot servers. Well, you know, the next step obviously is you're going to have to cook your own food when you go yeah. through that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Good to have you. Amanda Galbraith, Shelly Carroll, Pavan Brach. Catch the round table, round one at 7.45, round two at 8.45. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.